Welcome to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. You're joined by your co-hosts, Shibby and Ryan. Hello, hello. In this episode, we're joined by a writer, a revolutionary. More details on that soon. But we're just going to go over the change log. There's been a couple of changes. First up is it's season two. That means I've created a visible recognition for myself that I have transcended in skill when it comes to podcasting. I've gained more confidence. I'm getting better at interviewing. I actually didn't know what to do at first. I just know I wanted to do a podcast, didn't I? So, yeah, that's what we've done. We've got a new awesome intro track that I'm really proud of. It features a previous guest. Shout out to all those comrades. You know, Joe, Daniel, Seamus, Garrett, Zola, much love comrades, thanks for appearing on the show, you're a part of our history and legacy now. So yeah, it's not just aesthetically, it's not just materially, it's not just audibly, we've also changed personally, Ryan's got a few personal changes, could you go into yeah, them Yeah I do, absolutely, please? season 2 for the podcast, season 2 for my own personal YouTube channel, so um, I've changed the name, the channel art, the logo and everything, just to reflect um, Marxism more generally, because the previous name, I didn't like it too long, uh, too cringe also not representative of what we should stand for on the left, right, we shouldn't be misanthropic um, we should work to, you know critique structural and systemic um structures i suppose and um, we shouldn't turn to misanthropy so don't do that my old name not representative of that so this new name uh should be more representative and i'm also switching up my video style so i'm now going to be using animations and things so it should just all around be a better viewing experience yeah good stuff your new videos are going to be better because again just as i've been gaining experience with these interviews with this editing you've been gaining experience adding animations to youtube videos is going to be extremely fun it's going to be informative uh, definitely everybody go check it out but what is misanthropy uh so misanthropy is just sort of the general mistrust or hatred of humankind generally it's just the idea that you know like or people suck. Um, it's not something we should adopt on the left because you should understand that it's not actually like the inherent nature of people that suck. It's, you know, um, people that live under the hegemonic influence of capitalism, right? If you remove capitalism and the way that people interact, um, people will be better. Yeah, that's very Marxist of you. But by self-reflection, um, it, that's who you were. But, you know, my nickname's Shibby. So, I mean, what's that about? So you went to the Zen Marxist, but what is Zen? Uh, Zen. No, that's all them vibes with the Buddha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm big on Zen Buddhism, honestly. It's just sort of, um, you know, Tao. Um, just those kind of ideas. I mean, even if you look on my channel, I've spoke about like Zen koans and things before. So I don't really know how much that's going to play into my new channel because I understand there's like this huge conflict between sort of religion and Marxism. And I might work on sort of... Um, linking those in some way or talking about if they're compatible i literally have a video on my channel talking about if they're compatible um i just think it's a uh, something that all people should generally um aspire to be towards i'm a fan of it because it 
it's dialectical in nature, right? It talks about like the only constant in life is change and those sorts of things. So I think it's compatible with Marxism generally, um, uh, mainly because it's just something that explains the inherent truth within the universe, right? Which is something that dialectics also does, works towards. It's a process of getting ever closer to the truth. And, um, yeah, I, I just like it. Um, I've also read, like, tons of literature on, like, um, revolutionary, like, Zen Marxists. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think there's a, there's a vein out there I'll tap into. Yeah, it is really interesting. It's definitely something that should be taken on board and discussed and added to the commentary uh, for socialists all around the world because we talk so much about solidarity, we talk so much about revolution and, you know, tactics and things, but nobody really discusses spirituality and no matter who you are, even if you're not leftist, uh, it's very likely that you're going to be into some kind of meditation, some yoga, and, you know, I... Uh, people out there thinking one of the biggest problems with us in the world today as a species is we're not tied to nature we've lost our sense of touch with nature we are abstract from it rather than integral components of an ecosystem that produced life on earth (laughs) like we're breaking that so I can completely see the interest in it as well as the the health benefits that you get from you know the this term where it's what is it you, you shut up your monkey brain uh, you know all these distracting thoughts yeah it's yeah i'm with you completely i've done a video marxism and religion are they compatible that's that's a good one um mm-hmm. yeah keep that up talk more about this spirituality well i'm 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 constantly pondering it because again these are these are things that go into a script for a future episode but without further ado we've done a promotion oh no wait we haven't like share comment give us some feedback give us some dopamine set a tone and we'll love you loads it's nice to be nice here is the interview with rain and shay what did you think ryan yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of great things. Uh, interesting writer. Um, I love the sort of variety of topics he speaks on. And yeah, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, most definitely. We talk about COVID. We talk about China. We talk about DPRK. We talk about Cuba. We talk about ICE. We talk about imperialism. We talk about virtually everything you can think of. So here is the interview with Rain and Shay. It's not that some people are just too dumb to understand it. I mean, that's complete nonsense, right? It can be taught to anyone. Uh, it is intuitive to some degree, and it's not like an intelligence thing. And, you know, we had some placards, one of them which said the prefactual point that Zionism is racism. You know, it's not just a moral stand, it's a political stand. What you're talking about is the role that Israel plays securing the interests of US and British imperialism in the Middle East. And it would be talking about Iraq or Afghanistan or something. Today, where I am, and I like understand these conflicts that have literally been going on since I was born. It's just like horrifying. It's not. It's not British culture. It's just the world's culture. They love stories. They love this idea that there is this nation that looks like this. I think it's a distraction from the class struggle, to be honest. 
Yes, yes. Thanks for for getting getting this interview. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely enjoyed your article. It was really interesting, almost entertaining, and really informative. So, firstly, let's go into it. As always, with a guest, can we just get a little introduction from yourself, giving our listeners some insight into your background, political affiliation, any tendencies, and any other information that you know you'd like to share and give us to help us get an idea of who we're speaking to and listening to here, so as to help give us insight into where you're coming from. My my name is Rainer Shea. I'm 19 years old, and for several years I have been a political blogger. And uh, my my career is uh, is political commentary. That's what I, I want to do with my life. And uh, I've uh, I've decided to become involved in the global communist movement, specifically the global movement for Marxist Leninist revolution. I'm also an anti colonialist. I, I've uh, I've I've seen the uh, the history of, of how Marxism Leninism has has been able to uproot systems of oppression, and I see how Marxism Leninism has has been able to be, uh, be tied in with anti colonialism and anti imperialism. So so uh, I'm trying to uh, promote class consciousness. By uh, by educating people about the ideas of Marx, Lenin, and uh, and, and other revolutionary yeah, leaders, um, especially when it comes to you know sort of like anti-imperialism and anti-colonial activities, um, all people should be involved in those. I think, I mean, especially communists, right? Yeah, you definitely shouldn't hear um, any communists not taking on you know anti-imperial or, or anti-colonial stances. That, that definitely shouldn't be the case. Uh huh. Awesome there, yeah, seven years a blogger, at 19 years old you become an ML to combat anti-colonialism and spreading class consciousness is a massive part of that, that was a really excellent response that you know, any principled Marxist-Leninist would have, so awesome response, awesome. Okay, so we brought you on after I read an article that you posted on the subreddit r slash late stage imperialism. That's our subreddit. Come and join on that if you're on Reddit. That's the place to be. But yeah, um, we brought you on after we read your article on that. Uh, your article was titled, It's long been anticipated that humanity's future would look like this. So I really enjoyed it. I was impressed in how you articulated everything on the subjects within it. And while you frequently write articles, which can be found on Medium, could you talk a little bit about why you wrote that article in particular before we go into the themes and the topics within it? I was inspired to write it when I saw the photo in, included in the article's header that showed a, a recent uh, a recent incident where El Salvador police had uh, had made a, a big group of prisoners. Uh, uh, take take their shirts off and and uh, and sit uh, next next to each other during the pandemic. And th- this was El Salvador's pr- president, this uh, this far right Trump Trump like president, uh, abusing his power by uh, by using the pandemic to to uh, as as a weapon against prisoners. And and this is one example of 
the uh, the, the loss of humanity that I, I feel is is happening right now as uh, as late stage capitalism or late stage imperialism, as you would call it, uh, continues. The uh, the re- uh, reaction from governments like the one in El Salvador, in the United States, in India, in Brazil is to uh, scapegoat vulnerable groups and to try to cut off the flow of immigration. And now th- this is a vast uh, subject, and I, I cover uh, some of it in my article. Like the, the BJP, I think that's, the, that's an example of this modern kind of fascism that I'm, I'm describing. The, India's BJP is, uh, is arguably bringing India towards a, uh, a, a kind of holocaust for Muslims with anti-Muslim sentiments increasing and in systematic persecution of Muslims increasing. So that's an example of where a country like the United States or Britain might be headed in these coming years. Yeah, absolutely. I was also going to say that, unfortunately, this is a kind of foreshadowing of the way most countries are going. You know, this is by no means, El Salvador is by no means a uh, an outlier. Um, this is, unfortunately, a, a global trend that we're looking at here, and uh, more countries are going to go down this route as time goes on, unfortunately. So this is uh, a bellwether for things to come, unfortunately. And things already yes. have been happening. Yeah, in it I describe how... The current situation in the United States is that uh, ICE, the Immigration's Custom Enforcement, has been uh, has been continuing to escalate its war on immigrants, on undocumented people, and these militarized ICE raids have been continuing throughout the pandemic. Wow. Uh, and this is this has put yeah, so, the, so, sorry, the detained people in special danger because. You know the the thing about the way Trump has been has been changing the immigration system is that that uh, under his administration these uh, these detention camps for undocumented people their conditions have been getting worse and this is this is clearly deliberate because uh, the way a lot of people died in the in the Holocaust in the death camps was uh, was not exactly that they were executed but that they died from disease and several. Uh, like, like uh, numerous uh, migrant children have, have have started to die from disease and, and from the neglect that they've experienced in these prisons as a result of the uh, of the administration's decisions. So this is it can be argued that this is genocide and that this is a continuation of the indigenous Holocaust that's been going on for hundreds of years because th- these are these are indigenous migrants who were. Uh, push away from their homes uh, uh, to the south by U.S. intervention. Yeah, absolutely. It actually reminds me of um, a story, I think it was uh, about a year ago, where there was a a lawyer for ICE basically went to court and said that things like, uh, you know, soap and toothbrushes were not um, human rights or human necessities, and as such, they didn't actually have to provide them to um, people that they were detaining, which... You know, you can imagine why that's uh, disastrous and just just humane, inhumane. Yes. Another thing to note here also is that, you know, these things don't happen instantly, you know. Even when it came to, like, um, Jewish people being detained in the Holocaust, they weren't, you know, 
mass exterminated on day one, right? It was like a slow, gradual uh, build-up and deterioration of conditions until eventually that's what it culminated in, right? So although these people aren't, you know, literally being exterminated currently, we are on that slide where these people are being, you know, dehumanized and conditions are continually getting worse. And at the bottom of that slide, you know, is you know, ultimately the, the literal genocide of these people. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was really interesting there, that response. But I didn't know that you created the article specifically regarding regarding the image of the prisoners in gnarly, you know, unfathomable conditions all tied up together. Um, it's absolutely insane. I'm going to actually have that image um, as this podcast image to give context to what we're talking about here. Um, where was it? El Salvador, was that? Yes. Yeah, fucked up. It's, again, I say unfathomable because just the complete lack of empathy of the guards to actually allow that in the first place and to let it persist, it defies... It it defies everything I know as to be human and... I I don't understand that shit, me. How people can let that happen in the first place? Never mind fucking being an active participant in it. That's the role that like rhetoric and propaganda plays, right? Because in order to treat people that way, you first have to um, unleash, you know, sort of the propaganda and the rhetoric of, you know, these people are different to you. You know, they're not the same as you. They're lesser than you, right? And that serves as a justification for them to be treated differently, right? You wouldn't treat them the same as you, right? Because they're different than you, right? And that's the role that propaganda plays. You know, you first tell people that they're different and then when they're treated differently, you know, poorly, it's, yeah, of course, because, you know, they're different. You know, that's that's the role that plays. Yeah, and then that moves on to what was touched upon, which I'm glad we brought up and mentioned, the current Holocaust in India from the, the Muslims there that absolutely has to be mentioned and Ryan you mentioned the Holocaust then and how these things build up to actually you know something like the Holocaust and this also helps to explain the the logic behind when people says that ICE is the Gestapo because they might actually not be putting people in gas chambers or getting them to bury their own graves and then shoot them into it en masse but it's definitely what happens if you just let these things continue um, this inhumane just fascism you, you know what I'm saying and just pure racism that's why everybody who's doing work against ICE talking about the Indian Holocaust today um, talking about all these injustices you know definitely, definitely applaud them these are the human beings that we need on the planet really fucked up shit but like moving on now I wanted to talk a little bit about that quote that you brought up when you first mentioned and, and drew parallels with the Children of the Men movie. The movie itself was a stark dystopian glimpse into the future that even rest in power Mark Fisher spent the first chapter of Capitalist Realism on. What interests me in particular is that the writer slash director Coran uh, had one character say So Human Project is having this dinner, and all the wisest men in the world are there. Human they... Project? What do people believe this crap? You know, even if these people existed with these facilities in secret locations, fuck me, that's strong. Even if they discovered the cure for infertility, it doesn't matter. Too late. 
world went to shit. You know what? It was too late before the infertility thing happened, for fuck's sake. I'm still trying to tell a joke, man. Because obviously in the film, everybody goes infertile and the world's just gone to shit, basically. So that's just context of that. But can you talk a little bit about that? Why this is a significant glimpse into consciousness of the characters in the movie and book and any distinctions that can be made in today's hellish society with what you'd written on the Children of the Men movie in that article? The character who said this, who, who said that uh, that the world had went to, went to shit and that it was too late even before the infertility crisis, his, uh, he, his name was Theo Farron, who used to be an idealistic young anti-war activist during the Bush era. And in the movie, the infertility crisis began in 2009. And uh, and the movie came out in 2006. So uh, so with this uh, quote from uh, from Theo, the the director seemed to be communicating that uh, that at least by uh, pessimistic view, the 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 world had had already irrevocably drifted towards uh, towards catastrophe by 2006. Because you know, the the Iraq War was uh, something of a, a turning point for history. It uh, it represented total it and the Afghanistan invasion. The, these uh, these post 9/11 wars represented a uh, a triumph for American militarism. And for the the idea of, of perpetual war in the Middle East, it is it, it totally destroyed Iraq's uh, civilization or uh, vastly uh, demolished it, and uh, and it it resulted in a, a vast ongoing series of conflicts in the region. And it's, the blowback has been terrorism. It's been the deaths of hundreds of thousands, and and it's ultimately resulted in, in things like like the refugee crisis. Uh, crises that we're now facing. We're experiencing this global refugee crisis partly because of the wars that the United States started in the Middle East. And there's also the factor of climate collapse. It seems like uh, like it, it was a while ago that the the enough greenhouse ga- uh, gas emissions had been released that a vast uh, meltdown of the ice caps would be inevitable. This This seemed to be true uh, even in the early 2000s, because because at that point greenhouse gas em- emissions had been uh, going on for m- maybe a couple of centuries. I mean, it, uh, really, the the structure of capitalism, of industrial civilization, of of imperialism, of colonialism, all, all these these systems ha- had been adding up to a, uh, a a disaster point, and now we're we're increasingly seeing the ramifications. Of this unsustainable system, as uh, as the climate continues to deteriorate, as as uh, as wars continue to proliferate, as an, an economic collapse grips the world, uh, COVID nineteen is also part of this collapse because because in this warmer world, it's a lot easier for viruses to proliferate. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's really important to sort of um, emphasize the the global systems theory aspect of this and that all these things are interconnected and no one of these things operates on its own individually right so just even there we were talking about about how you know obviously the wars in the middle east and iraq etc vastly um put 
you know, emigration and things on steroids. And um, you'll be amazed at how many people don't make that connection or the people that advocate for these wars are also, you know, anti-immigration, seeing no, no link between those things, you know, like the idea that we can just continually bomb them for 20 years and also deny them refuge from that bombing, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some awesome points there. Thank you for that response. Uh, the perpetual war in the Middle East, uh, you know, people just saying to justify this is just human nature it, it is how it is you know people have always fought this is just war and this talks about this complacency that the character had in the book or the film talking about the world fucked it was fucked before and it'll be fucked later this is really capitalist realism mindset in the sense that things are not going to change um, this is just how it is it's almost human nature now and like like you mentioned there the blowback is terrorism refugees it's the chickens coming home to roost and it does need a dialectician to recognize for the most part that this isn't just how it is the, this complacency is really what will put an end to us as a species and potentially the only form of intelligent life in the universe and you know the stakes are really too high we have to really this is why we do this shit to spread class consciousness because god damn it come on wake up people this is this is some serious shit and you can't just bury your head in the ground and say oh that's just how it is and uh, because you know what what was it was it einstein who said um the all that's needed for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing yeah exactly and that's essentially what everybody's doing when they just have that attitude so that's really what i wanted to bring out of that and just underline that all of these things impending climate crisis Africa's poverty are shitty work lives that take up all of our lives and the only way we can experience life is to do something called have a holiday like we've literally got to save up our money to go on holiday and that is to say to go somewhere and look at the the beauty of the clouds or the sunset and we've got to pay for it you know this complacency that is capitalist realism it just goddamn makes me sick so um so Rainer, let's talk about the causes here now you mentioned in your writing the historian Tervetin Tordovov said in an excerpt for children and men These two big passions are called humiliation and fear The humiliation is experienced by the powerless towards the more powerful It encounters on the other side of fear And fear is just as powerful as a source of violence In fact, if we think of the major violences of the recent times they all come out of fear. It is because we were so afraid of what will happen that we accepted torture. And if you were really frightened, you will get accustomed to different transgressions of the rules of normal life between human beings. So what does this mean to you? And I'd like to also, for us, to try and give this a bit of a Marxist analysis because I think Gramsci can help us here with his theory of cohesion and consent. So let's have a small discussion on that. Uh, would you respond first and then Ryan and then I'll come in with something? Yeah, well, well I, I, I see the dynamics that 
this historian is talking about as we see the developments in India in Israel uh, slash Palestine, where the Palestinians are being persecuted in the United States, where uh, these migrants are being persecuted, at, uh, these, these migrants as well as other groups, uh, also in, uh, in Brazil, in, in Bolivia, in all of these, all of these, these regimes where uh, the forces of reactionary politics are, are shaking hold and, and resulting in campaigns against vulnerable groups. Israel is is a, is a really good example because this this is a, a situation where this European colony has established itself in in the Middle East and uh, and this this col- uh, colonialism justifies itself through the Zionist ideology, uh, which says that uh, that uh, the Jews have a uh, some sort of divine right to to this land. And since this has come in conflict with with the native population, the reaction from the the colonizers and their imperialist allies in Washington has been to enact decades of uh, of horrendous violence against these populations. They're they're starving. They're starving Gaza. They're depriving it of wa- of water. In COVID nineteen, this has resulted in uh, in increased settler. Violence against the Palestinians. I mean, the, the this is this shows just how evil colonialism is, and a similar thing as has already happened in the United States. Israel is just in the earlier stages of it. So I'd like to. I don't. I don't know too much about Gransky. I've, I I hope to well, one of you elaborate more on that because I'm interested in it, but. But uh, this quote, I I can definitely see how it applies to our current world. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we talk of Gramsci, like he's a a very important communist thinker that all people, I mean, honestly, not even communists should know about him, just everyone, just every human being should know. And one of his main ideas is that of cultural hegemony. So basically, his idea was that if capitalists control the society, they control everything within it, which means all the institutions in that society work to uphold and maintain capitalism, which means radio, news, TV, schools, law, uh, all controlled by capitalists. And because of that, they work for the capitalists. So what you get is you don't get a sort of neutral, unbiased law. What you get is bourgeois law, right? You get the law that's, I think the saying is like nine tenths possession, which means it's all about private ownership, who owns things. And if you take it, that's bad the law will come in. So it's enacting the violence of the state upon those people. And um, the idea here is that the cultural hegemony means that it's ultimately a capitalist one. And I think that this is actually more, that this does more to put down revolutions than, you know, um, physical, you know, bullets. Because if you can control a population's mind, right, the way they think, the media they consume, and the thoughts that they have, then you'll never have any revolutionary action without, you know, revolutionary thought and revolutionary planning. And if you have a population that's constantly watching, you know, the MSNBCs and the CNNs of the world, you will never be exposed to any real theory, any real revolutionary ideas. And without any revolutionary ideas entering, you can have no revolutionary planning, which means you'll have no revolutionary action. And this is how the media and um, all of their friends, you know, the other social institutions work together to solidify the economic system of capitalism and make sure that anything 
detrimental to capitalism never enters the conversation on um, on those stations. Yeah, and just to just to add on to that, the uh, big shout out to Pro Cult. Everybody, go and watch dying culture by pro cult on youtube it's on for like three and a half hours but every single second is absolutely incredible power to those but this is actually from that dying culture on an extract of them talking about cultural hegemony and how cultural hegemony actually works uh, which i really love put simply it is shaped by two dominant forces cohesion and consent they produce each other. Easy example is a state censor utilizes cohesion and denies publication of like any writing or art or film, you know, just work produced from the people. A state censor utilizes cohesion to deny the publication of those things. It only allows the production of works which supports its ruling class in their domination. So as such, the oppressed class us only have access to these ideas that they allow us to be receptive to or to be produced in the first place. They're not going to put out this podcast in the, the Wall Street Journal. Are they? <laughs> They're not going to have this on the business insider. Um, so... The people who only access those kind of bourgeois, you know, news outlets and whatnot, they're only going to receive bourgeois trains of thought. As such, the oppressed class us only have access to these ideas. We accept them as common sense. These bourgeois ideas that were fed through every single media form that we've, we receive, we accept them as common sense, even natural, just the way it is, as was men- mentioned previously, simply due to the prevalence of the ruling class ideas. Uh, so in short, people consent to being ruled. They begin to police themselves, turning on those who put forward interests interest contrary to the ruling class and the ideas that they've neutralized so consent forms into cohesion so that i mean that pretty much is relative to the quote that you put up there just basically saying the fear is as powerful um as a source of violence because it talked about people policing themselves because they're like whoa 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 i've went through 20 years of life i've been fed these kind of ideas you're coming up with your own set of ideas that hasn't been pushed through the mass media so i'm gonna argue with you right now and um know that that's what it is that's i hope you get what i'm saying but that's why you look to gramsci because some genius genius shit where it's but he puts across these ideas of cultural hegemony that are really quite easy to understand but also like span vast complex operations in the world Okay, so far we've faced some of the biggest problems in the world and taken to some analysis on the problems. Our goals as revolutionaries are mostly to spread class consciousness among the masses to inspire us revolt and dissent for revolution. But there are countries and people out there with more power than us. I'm talking about the countries that show us solutions to the dystopian present and future caused by capitalism. The socialist countries such as Cuba, Vietnam 
and some listeners would agree or disagree with China being socialist, but either way, these countries, despite being strangled by economic sanctions and embargoes, you know, even assassinations, trade wars, uh, are resisting imperialism and at the same time facing and prevailing over the biggest problems the world faces today, such as coronavirus, climate change and economic inequality. So could you talk a little bit about how and why these countries are able to resist the problems only exacerbating in capitalist nations, please? Uh, They can handle the situation better and govern themselves better than the capitalist world because uh, these countries are run by the dictatorship of the proletariat, which is to say a worker's democracy. I, I would call China a dictatorship of the proletariat because well capitalist interests are are part of uh, of how its economy functions the uh, the capital doesn't predominantly hold uh, political sway China is uh, has version of democracy where the uh, the people get to decide how the which direction the country goes in despite the claims that Xi Jinping is a dictator he is not. He's carrying on the socialist project that Mao started, where uh, where power w- was given into uh, g- given to the people and taken away from uh, from the bourgeoisie. So uh, so now we're seeing this uh, uh, this development where uh, China has lifted hundreds of millions out of poverty. Where uh, where China has been enacting its a, a kind of green new deal, uh, where it's been incorporating green energy and leading the global fight against climate change. Uh, we're seeing how how uh, also how uh, China and other uh, Marxist Leninist countries have responded to the pandemic, which is extremely uh, competently. They've been able to uh, not just enact quarantines, but absorb the economic consequences from these quarantines because they have centrally planned economies. And so they can recover from it fairly quickly. As for the uh, Democratic People's Republic of Korea, uh, I ha- have yet to see evidence that they've even had any COVID-19 cases. And then uh, this is because uh, They've. This is perhaps because they've tried to cut out uh, contacts from the uh, the countries where COVID nineteen has proliferated. So, uh, so there yet another example of how socialism has been able to fight off this pandemic. And so, for these, given this evidence, I see the establishment of the dictatorship of the proletariat as a short term goal for the project of communism. We need to establish uh, dictatorships of the proletariat in the other nations uh, because the dictatorship of the proletariat is how the, 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 the social order in a given country can be steered in a socialist uh, direction. Yeah, it's, it's also just planning, right? So the reason that those nations are able to deal with crises like this so much better is because if you take a, you know, sort of like a, a hyper-capitalist country like the UK or the US, right, it's run essentially by, you know, people in boardrooms. And the only thing that enters the conversation in those boardrooms is what 
what's the profit like for the next quarter, right? They do everything on quarters, everything's about the next three months. And that's all that enters the conversation. So any talk of, you know, should we plan for a global pandemic, that never enters the conversation. Any talk of should we um, prepare for floods, hurricanes, rising sea levels, right? Those never enter the conversation because it's about does it make money or does it not make money? And when it comes for when it comes to things like planning for hurricanes, tornadoes, those things cost money. So they will never enter, um, you know, those conversations. Uh, also, you don't want private companies, you know, being the ones to do those things anyway, but you can understand why those kind of conversations never enter those kind of places. Yes. Yeah, boss, good points there. Again, China made, as I listened from a Rev Left episode on somebody talking about China, they're making over like a billion masks a day. As you mentioned, because of a centrally planned economy, uh, a billion masks a day. This is why we do need a dictatorship of the proletariat. Otherwise, you've got politicians, as you have over here, and CEOs determine the production of masks and nobody's got masks out here if you want them i mean you just buy them you know off some some company but people go into work they don't have them available ppe is is almost like a myth in a lot of places and and again this is because you got politicians and ceos running a goddamn country you haven't got a dictatorship of the proletariat you haven't got the people going no you know what i'm not gonna go to work and produce rolls royce um engines for some plane that's gonna bomb people we're gonna actually start doing ppe um but something like i could do with some help on could you just one of you or both of you uh, just explain the difference between a dictatorship of the proletariat and a centrally planned economy which is you know basically china's thing now is there a dis- distinction there or are they just kind of different ways of saying the same thing uh, do you oh. want to go or oh uh, well I, I would say that there's a difference, if, if only because a centrally planned economy isn't synonymous with a dictatorship of the proletariat. The, you can you can theoretically have a centrally planned economy uh, while having a uh, a capitalist run government. Yep. This is what, and that, that's kind of what what fascism is slash was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the dictatorship of the proletariat is a type of governmental model where the workers decide the, what their government government consists of, and this uh, naturally results in a centrally planned economy, or or at least in an, in an economy that's uh, heavily controlled by the government, as opposed to. The corporations. I mean, uh, they make China out to be hyper-capitalist. A lot of their left-wing critics do, but uh, but uh, really, uh, capitalism or, or, or private business has uh, has only been partly incorporated into the existing structure of of a socialist, centrally planned Chinese economy. And and I I would argue that. That these uh, these market reforms have been necessary for the uh, the economic expansion of of China, and uh, and it's part of why uh, hundreds of millions of Chinese people have been lifted out of poverty. They've needed to develop into the 21st century and adapt to a capitalist-dominated world. They, they've needed to compete with 
the United States. And now we're seeing the result. China is is moving towards economically overtaking the United States. Thank you for that. Yes, I understand. This would also be a good time to mention the xenophobia, the Chinese racism campaign that's all across the internet now, how it's just absolutely blown up. And this is a response to China's economic success story, really, of course. The dollar wants to be the almighty currency of the world. China is growing as an economic power. And to tell you the truth, the US army will get, the US military will get its ass kicked in a war with China, China would absolutely devour them if the US even stepped foot on Chinese territory. That's if they could even get there because the carrier fleet would be absolutely decimated by carrier killer cruise missiles that they've developed, not to mention the, the support that Russia would have. So the US is really lost when it comes to military means to oppose China, and they're definitely not a threat to China, so all the US can do is uh, just cause economic sanctions again to try and attack the economy, and they have to justify it with racism as they do all oppression uh, to people all across the world they justify it through racism and um, so you see you see all these camp uh, i don't even know how to pronounce it but you see this shit over these auras or whatever they're called where you're saying that these are being exterminated you, you see videos emerge of like starving people from like decades ago and, and apparently that was them torturing some muslim like um yesterday despite it being on the internet since dinosaurs so that's really my thought on the situation why chinese racism is blowing up it's to justify the embargoes on the country and to attack the economy because uh, you know obviously china are catch catching up militarily um, they might not be technologically advanced, but the US would lose in war against them. So, I mean, that that's that's my thoughts on the issue. Uh, death to America. Um, fuck those guys. Love me comrades over there. I'm talking about the US government, the bourgeoisie, of course. Power to the Chinese. Um, even if you're out there listening and you've never agreed with China being socialist or communist, I know that my thoughts on it are, are pretty much in the air, but you absolutely have to stand in solidarity with them because just like people all around the world, they're just, they're just being attacked by capitalism. Yet one day they could turn around and be... You know, a communist society, who knows? But um, China isn't our enemy. That's the point that I'm making. Um, again, it just comes down to the bourgeoisie. And again, just before we move on, I just wanted to reiterate uh, Cuba's success in pushing back the pandemic. Pay attention to when it comes to sanctions, right? I mean, it's also um, in Reyna's article, right, where he says um, Washington's tight, uh, tightened economic sanctions against Venezuela and Iran during the pandemic, which uh, amount to acts of genocide against the people of these countries. So, yeah, that's something that like people don't make the connection between, that is sanctions are actually an act of war. But it's a type of war that people don't even think of as war, right? Economic war. Because people have been trained to only think of, you know, like literal bombings of 
literal bombings and troop deployments to be war, but actually, like, a single set of economic sanctions passed can restrict the food or medical supplies for millions of people on these countries, so um, it's definitely an act of, uh, of war, and that's what, you know, obviously Cuba's been under those sanctions for over 50 years now, so... Awesome point there. Because me, myself, there, as I explained that, I didn't even articulate it as an act of war, but you're absolutely right, it is. Thank you both for that, so we're moving on. Um, I do want to try and make it a, a bit of a high note. We've talked about how socialist nations are succeeding in the fight against the coronavirus, um, especially in all parts, even like climate change, Cuba again, um, are one of the most environmentally sustainable countries in the world. Yeah, it's really remarkable, some of the things they have done. Having looked at some examples of how to prevent a future like the one in Children of Men, and that's thanks to a socialist model, it just reinforces the need for our solidarity with countries such as Vietnam, who was brutally raped, pillaged and murdered by imperialism, China, a target for one of the biggest racist campaigns currently in order to justify trade wars to halt them taking over the US as an economic power. Again, reiterating it does show the potential of what I've learned now is, is a centralist government economy and little tiny Cuba who for over 60 years has been strangled by the US in an embargo that's been opposed by all nations in the United Nations besides the US and Israel as well as also being a genuine target for nuclear annihilation during the Cuban Missile Crisis for simply being socialist. So we need to support these people, these countries, and in every way possible. And that means arming ourselves with facts to oppose this cohesion and consent-based cultural hegemony, this capitalist realism that has so many slaves to capitalism brainwashed all around the world. So I really hope that listeners found this helpful and a source of inspiration in doing so and acquired some knowledge here or really took some of the points on board to argue them in the real world. So moving on now towards the end of the show, if anybody else has anything further to add, please do so now before we sign off. Oh, oh, uh, I'd like to say thanks again for inviting me on this this show, and I, I could uh, I could conclude by how I conclude my article, which is uh, I, I analogize to the end of Children of Men, where where some sort of revolution uh, resolution is is reached and and amid this uh this chaotic vision of uh of the 2020s uh the, the main character is is able to uh, f- find some sort of a uh, a potential uh cure for for uh, what's what's afflicting the, the world and in the article i analogize that to the hope that we can create a better society that we can overcome the, the reactionary forces that are, are gripping our civilization and and create a, a new system because th- th- this is this this is realistically how we can overcome uh, th- these forces of evil by uh, by working towards revolution and defeating the capitalist cultural he- hegemony as you said 
Yeah, absolutely. And also just, you know, go and follow uh, Rainer, of course, on Medium and all these other writings that he has on there. He also has a Patreon on there. We'll probably include like a, a link or something down below. And um, yeah. just make sure you go and read his stuff. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell them, isn't it? So thank you very much for your time and contributions here on Revolutionary Lumpen Radio, Rainer. Yeah, absolutely great sign-off point there to give us hope and inspiration to tackle this revisionary, you know, capitalist realism mindset that people have. You know, again, we very much appreciate you coming on and all the work that you're producing and is valued and goes towards the proletarian struggle we would love people to continue to benefit from your work and insight i know i'm going to continue to follow you so you know please give our listeners the opportunity to follow you also by letting them know where to find your work your social media uh, your patreon anything like that where you want people to to come and check it out i think would be great uh, yeah if you look up ringer shea r-a-i-n-e-r-s-h-e-a on twitter or if, if you if you type in my my name in google you can find my website rainershea.com you can also type in my name to follow me on medium i i'm uh, i'm i'm putting out a, a new essay every two to four days and and i'm, I'm constantly uh, writing and uh and and trying to figure out the the dynamics that are shaping the world today and and trying to to articulate the the, the political theory from uh from uh, revolutionary leaders like uh, Lenin and I might touch on Gram- uh, Gramsci in the future so I hope others others read what I have to write absolutely awesome well, boss um, I'll include all of those links in the show notes there you might want to just check out just search cultural hegemony on youtube and find the zen marxist ryan's got a video there just touches on gramsci and cultural hegemony that's that's an interesting like seven minutes or something there uh, awesome points again power to you uh, keep up the great work absolutely love your writing and really impressed with it i really hope that you continue to to keep it up the revolutionary movement needs people like you who can just constantly write and get it out there you've got a good following as well i hope that that grows hope that one day you're in a revolutionary newspaper uh, because really some great stuff great analysis it was a pleasure again speaking to you it was a pleasure hearing your insights here power to you solidarity Workers and lumping of the world unite.
Makes me.